0: Welcome back to the Hollow Sky Podcast. I am one half your host, Steven. And I'm Kyle. How's it going, Kyle? Good. Good to hear. Just went out and bought a new computer. That's true. That's true. Pretty stoked on that. So, before we get into today's topic, hairy topic, we need to go through the business per usual and I'll get that kicked off you can catch us at any of our social medias Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram Hollow Sky Podcast just search it up come on over, hang out with us post memes because that's what everybody does on the Facebook share stories just talk and be a community speaking of sharing stories Kyle, if anybody has a paranormal encounter they would like to share how
1: do they do that? You can give us a call at our hotline, which is one eight seven seven eight zero zero hollow, or you can use your uh, voice memo app on your phones, record uh, your story, and then uh, email it to us at hollowsguypodcast at gmail dot com.
0: Yeah, and that number is toll free for anyone wondering, so it won't cost anything. Just get on there leave a recording goes five minutes if your call lasts longer than that simply call back Kyle will edit it together for our iTunes listeners make sure you pop over to uh, iTunes and give us a rating and a review Uh, it helps us become more visual I guess yeah on the platform and uh, helps us move up the charts a little bit make this easier easier, easily accessible so go over there if you give us a five star and a review we will shout you out on here so that'd be dope now with all the business out of the way we are going to take it back to last week where we had a listener call in the same listener had left us a series of encounters that he'd experienced so we're going to go into another one of those on today's episode. So with that being said, here is our listener-submitted call for today.
2: I used to work just across the McKinley Bridge. A car pulled with a guy, and he was driving home on Route 3 that morning at approximately 8 a.m. I'm sorry, 6 a.m. We were driving north on Route 3, coming up on the big curve by the car lots and where Lowe's used to be near Granite City. Uh, I took a couple um, screenshots of the map of uh, where we saw this, and uh, I don't know if you guys want to use that or uh, check it out, but uh, I'll include it in this email. I noticed he stopped talking, and his head was fixated on something to the right, and and he tracked it as we were driving. So I, I was, I was looking in the direction he was looking and I say, what the hell was that? He replied, I don't know, but it was big and hairy. It's hard to explain what we saw other than big and hairy. We just saw the back and it was walking into the woods on the other side of that field. Um, can't really say it was a Bigfoot." foot. Uh, could say it was a Bigfoot, I don't know. It was uh, It was interesting to both of us, and uh, thought I'd share that l- little story with you. Alright. Thanks, guys.
1: Alright, so thanks for that call. We really appreciate it. And the way it sounds, it sounds like you saw a Bigfoot. I mean, if you saw something big and hairy stumbling off into the woods, I don't know what else it could be.
0: Yeah, that that's my thought on it, too. There's really... N- not a whole lot They could get confused with that. Like, we don't have bears here. We don't have, like, rogue bipedal buffaloes or anything.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, it's down there by Granite City, so it, there's a, it'd be a weird place for the Bigfoot to be anyways because it's kind of a populated area. You got a lot of refinery-type stuff going on down there.
0: Yeah, I mean and there are like clusters of woods down there. For people that are local, they they you know the the area route 3 and
1: such. But uh would well, be for the most of Illinois really?
0: Yeah, that's true. You we know, uh, so got our, so
1: many fields and then you'll know, have your patch of random, random woods. Yeah. And so on and so forth.
0: Our caller sent pictures in, so we'll share those to our uh, social media when the episode drops, that way people can kind of get maybe not exactly the location but a feel of the foliage and stuff around the location so we'll share that to our twitter and our instagram and our facebook whenever this episode drops but that area is not really that far from where everett saw his bigfoot encounter who my son called in a couple episodes ago and left it and there's been multiple sightings all throughout the area really you know, through through this section, kind of along the Illinois Mississippi River, people have seen Bigfoot quite often. There's there's multiple accounts of it, so it's not that far fetched to think just down the road they see it again.
1: Right. Well, then, you know, ironically enough, not to change gears on the Bigfoot siding here, but I think it's crazy the how you said it's not very much farther from where Everett saw his encounter. But ironically enough, we did a little bit of research, got into contact with the caller, and it seems to be that he and the last submission might have actually seen the same Thunderbird as well. Because that guy, the one who emailed in, said he's seen it in about 91. Well, this caller seen it in 93. In about the almost the same location. Yeah,
0: they were pretty close and that's that's not really that long of a time period. Not at all. To to see the same the same creature. So a lot of weird cryptid things going on in Illinois. So any listeners out there, especially local to the area, have seen or heard anything bizarre, call in and let us know. We wanna hear it.
1: I wish that was the only weird thing going on in Illinois.
0: Yeah, that's no kidding.
1: That's a different. <laughs> that's
0: a different podcast entirely. Yeah. So, bouncing off of our listener uh, submitted story, we decided to do a little research on some lesser known, maybe because I hadn't really heard of a lot of these uh, bigfoot encounters that we'd like to share with everyone. So we've got everything from bigfoot attacks to bigfoot battles to bigfoot. St- Dying in volcanic explosions that we figured we'd share with you guys and see what you thought about them. So our first Bigfoot story that we researched today takes us to Alaska, where it's a pretty squatchy place. There's some, been a quite a few sightings in Alaska. But the specific encounter or encounters takes us to a place called Port Chatham, a bay on the southern tip of Kenai in a former village of the same name. Uh, a series of mysterious disappearances and deaths where the Kenai Mountains narrow before plunging into the North Pacific gave birth to rumors that began in the 1930s and continue to this day. The rumors point to the same thing.
1: Something is definitely wrong in Port Chatham. So the history of habitation around Port Chatham has been a pretty short one. There was a captain, Nathaniel Portlock, And he was a member of the British Royal Navy. He found sanctuary here in about 1786. And he praised the site. And then uh, again around 1900, an American firm bought a fleet of fishing boats and they uh, built a cannery here. They figured they were going to take advantage of the calm waters and everything else. So the Russian Altuik village of Port Chatham grew around this cannery. So you had all your locals basically working in this cannery. It's what it was the lifeblood of this little small town. It was like the perfect spot. Exactly, because it was it was situated in between the ocean and the mountains. It was a quiet little quaint place and everybody you know basically it was known for being a beautiful spot. And then in about 1921, the residents established a post office.
0: It's kind of solidifying their little town. Like exactly. That, like- here we
1: are. Yep. And then there was an interview in 2009 that ran out of the uh, Homer Tribune. Nainwalik Elder Malena Helen Kell. She was born in Port Chatham in, a, in 1934. She, in this interview, gave insight to the downfall of her hometown. She explains that her parents, along with the rest of the village, grew weary of being terrorized by a creature, the eludic called Nantanag, meaning half-man, half-beast. She said that many of the residents refused to venture into the surrounding forests, and over time, they actually abandoned their homes and the village school, and moved up the coast to Port Graham. Only the postmaster remained in Port Chatham, but unfortunately, the post office closed around 1950.
0: So whatever is here in the woods terrorizing these people is bad enough to make everyone leave.
1: Yeah, it got that bad.
0: That's like leave their livelihood, leave their families. Well, I guess not leave their families. Take their families and leave their home. Exactly. It's stated that earlier records made by the Portlock Cannery Management System showed that the site had been vacated earlier in the century. cannery supervisor was noted that 19... 05, all the native workers evacuated the area because of something in the forest, but they returned back to the cannery the following year. These stories did not stop at the abandonment of the village. A goat hunter in 1968 claimed to have been chased by a creature while he was hunting in the area. In 1973, three hunters took shelter during a three-day storm and claimed that each night something walked around their tent on what sounded like only two feet. These encounters aren't just limited to sounds in the woods and people being afraid of what's in the woods. It, it spanned almost 100 years. Uh, for instance, Andrew Kamlick went out logging in 1931. He was found dead in the woods from a blow to the head. A piece of log movement equipment nearby may have been used as, as a weapon. It's stated that this log equipment was large enough that a a full-grown man couldn't, use it as a weapon couldn't like swing i'm just picturing it being swung like a baseball bat right so you know uh, around the same time elder Simeon Kaznikov of nearby port graham present day nanwalik said that a gold miner headed out for the day and just disappeared no signs of the prospector was ever found sometime later tom larson went out to chop wood for fish traps when he saw something large and hairy on the beach he ran back home for his rifle When he returned to the water's edge, the thing just stared at him. Larson never could explain why he could not fire at the creature. In 1973, an Anchorage newspaper ran a piece on a retired school teacher who had taught in Port Chatham during World War II. She told of cannery workers who went into the mountains to hunt doll sheep and bear but never returned. Search parties found no trace of them. Then rumors spread that a mutilated body, torn and dismembered in a fashion that didn't resemble wounds from any bear attack, had been swept down by the rains in the mountain and into the lagoon. Other rumors include specifics of the, beach, the beast's features. Hunters followed signs of moose and came across man like footprints that exceeded 18 inches in length. As they closed on the moose, they realized that they and the owner of the Big Feet were tracking the same animal. The hunters soon came across a matted down grass that held indications of apparent life and death struggle. Beyond the grass, the hunters found no moose tracks, but the large man-like foot, footprints continued upward into the
1: cloud-draped mountains. You hear stories like that one every once in a while where there's hunters out there and they're tracking, but, you know, they're tracking the animal, and but they also stumble across the Bigfoot tracks, which are coincidentally tracking the the same animal and then what else is weird is you have the guy that sees the bigfoot on the beach and he runs to get his rifle he comes back to basically shoot the animal or the creature and he can't do it and you also hear stories of this where for whatever reason these people can't shoot this animal or creature and a lot of them say because it resembles us so much.
0: Yeah, it's like a moral dilemma. Yeah, like you can't. It would be almost like killing a human being. Exactly. Like can you? Could you live with that? Live with pulling the trigger on something so similar to a human? Yeah. Yeah. You you get accounts of that a lot. Um, as far like with most Bigfoot encounters that I've read on and read about, they don't seem malevolent it just seems like people either stumble onto them or they happen to see them cross on the road or they catch them in a video camera or it's just out by itself. This, this stood out to me because it, it seems as as though like they, they are the enemy. Like they are after the people of Port Chatham. People go into hunt. They don't come back. People go into hunt and they wash up with all these crazy wounds. It's like, Almost like it's own, like a different species. Yeah, that's
1: what I was getting ready to say is maybe, maybe it's, you know, because of the terrain and the area and them being so secluded for so long, they might be a bit more territorial than what some of these other ones might be. You know, it's like, you know, take for instance, say a pack of coyotes. Now they're, coyotes are everywhere, they're literally in cities. Scavenging for food and taking small dogs and animals, and you know maybe it's that same concept that over the course of time these creatures have gotten more and more used to us and realize we're not as big of a threat as we pose. Or at the same time, you know, maybe these guys are standing on their ground, saying, "Hey, this is this is where we live." Yeah. You know yeah. don't don't be coming here.
0: Territorial dispute. Exactly. Yeah, I I can see that. It's just uh yeah, it's it's kind of a kind of almost a one-off seeing like a violent encounter, so to speak, yeah. between bigfoots and humans. And the fact, I mean there there almost has to be some validity here because it spanned so much time. Like well, the whole, first reported
1: a whole town packed up and moved.
0: Yeah, more than once. Yeah, I mean and it's first reported in 1905. That they evacuated the first time because of something in the woods? And there's accounts all the way up to 1990. There, there, here's one. An Anchorage paramedic was called out to aid a 70-year-old native who had suffered a heart attack but was incarcerated in the Eagle River Jail north of the city. While treating the man, the, parad- the paramedic happened to mention that he had hunted in the area of Port Chatham. The elderly man suddenly sat up, grabbed the medic by his shirt, and asked, did it bother you? Did you see it?
1: It just goes to show right there that... Everybody knows there's something out there that basically is after him, you know?
0: It's, yeah, it's, I just thought it was an interesting, an interesting article about the town of Port Chatham. Yeah. So if anybody's listening out in Alaska or they've been there and they're familiar with the area or have heard uh, stories of the area, get at us, let us know. Let us know if you've you've ever seen anything, or if your grandparents or parents have ever seen anything, or have ever had to deal with anything as such. Yeah. And for people closer than that that have had Bigfoot encounters, if if you've seen it, have you ever felt threatened by it? Have you ever had a physical physical encounter with it? We'd like to hear those too.
1: Yeah, for sure. Because with a lot of these stories, you know, take for instance the uh, the Andrew Camluck story where he was a logger he was found struck in the uh, with a blow to the head and they say it's by a piece of log moving equipment but it doesn't say why or how they came to that conclusion of that being used as the weapon you know i would assume there was probably blood on this but it doesn't specifically say so who's to say this log piece of equipment he wasn't using it in a way That somehow it fell back on him or, you know, I mean, I, I'm not a logger by any means, but I do cut down trees and I do know the hazards of it. And sometimes you cut a tree down and large limbs fall out of the tree and it is possible they hit you on the head and it can kill you. So, you know, with these stories, it it would be nice to have this type of insight and details that we can grab out of it to try to make the conclusion a little bit more clear.
0: Yeah, because I mean, it just as easily could be that fear that was already built up from the the people of the town leaving the first round in 1905, and then because of something in the woods, and then come back, and then 25 years later they find this this logger dead, and then the gold miner washes up like they're they're filling in the blanks with uh, local superstition,
1: so to speak. Right.
0: Not that I'm writing off the what they're seeing is superstition, but it's just kind of how that goes. You yeah, know? I
1: mean, and then like the, the mutilated body one, they said it was torn and dismembered in a fashion that didn't resemble wounds from a bear attack, but that's not saying that it couldn't have been a bear attack.
0: Yeah, it just didn't resemble any any that anyone had seen.
1: Right, you know, was this guy ripped in half?
0: Yeah, was. You know? <laughs> you think with a bear attack, there have to be bite marks and scratch marks. You and, would
1: think, yes.
0: But who's to say that a bear is not powerful enough to tear an arm off? I mean, yeah. they, you know they are.
1: Well, yeah, grizzly bears can hit a moose in the back and just break their spine like it's nothing.
0: I would not want to fight a grizzly bear.
1: No, not at all.
0: So that is our story about Port Chatham. With that being said, we did find another story that talks of a physical encounter with Bigfoots. We chose this one because it kind of ties in our third story as well. This is about a Bigfoot battle on Mount St. Helens in 1924. So Mount St. Helens, again, is in the uh, the northeast, prime Bigfoot country. And that's where everyone thinks when you talk about American Bigfoots. It's it's in the northeast. It's in Washington. It's in Alaska. It's in Oregon. Well, that'd be
1: the, the northwest. Yeah, my bad it happens.
0: <laughs> My directions aren't that good. <laughs> okay, northwest. So, um there's a narrow gorge on the east flank of Mount St. Helens. Like it became so popular in Bigfoot lore it's now called Ape Canyon because of this this supposed battle that took place and now investigators go out there and they they just go out there and they find footprints and they collect whistles and whoops and noises because it's prominent out there.
1: That's one thing I would like to find. A Bigfoot track? Just, just a, a clear footprint. I don't necessarily want to run into one face-to-face because I feel like due to their reported size and then you have these random occurrences where they're not friendly, I don't... I don't think I want to run into one face-to-face, but to see a footprint would be more than enough for me.
0: Yeah, that would be I think awesome. it would be awesome. And to tie things together, there's a small town just north of us called Chatham, like Port Chatham, but
1: it's just Chatham,
0: Illinois. That is weird. And they had some big footprints recently, with probably within the last 15 years. And that, wasn't
1: there a little bit of trading going on?
0: Yeah, it was. it's an interesting story. I don't know if we covered it before, but... They were, um, they've been getting, I I think the people had apple trees, right? And the fruit from the apple trees are disappearing. Something was picking the fruit. They didn't think too much of it. Then they started finding uh, bodies of rabbits with the heads missing. Almost like you hear stories of Bigfoot's trading. Like, oh, we pick your fruit. We're going to leave this for you. And... I guess the story goes the family was putting in a pool and the people putting the pool in got hot and they went to sit under a shade tree and there was a perfect print of a Bigfoot of, or a foot underneath the tree. So that's a little tie-in to Bigfoots around Illinois. Right. Anyway, magically whisked back to 1924 in Mount St. Helens in Ape Canyon. Like You know there has to be enough sightings and lore to... To change the name of a canyon to Ape Canyon. Right. So we're going to head back to Ape Canyon in the summer of 1924, where a group of gold prospectors stumbled out of the woods, shaking and glassy-eyed to tell of seven-foot-tall ape-like creatures attacking them with boulders. Fred Beck, Gabe Lefebvre, John Peterson, Marion Smith, and Smith's sons Roy, son Roy described coming upon gorilla men near where they had built a small cabin For their gold hunting forays. They claim they were eight miles from Spirit Lake when they encountered four of the giant animals moving through the forest with erect, human like strides. They're covered with long black hair, the Oregonian reported, relating the descriptions offered by the men. Their ears are about four inches long and stick straight up. They have four toes, short and stubby. The witnesses estimated each animal to weigh about 400 pounds. Taken aback by the side of the huge beast, Fred Beck fired his rifle at one of the creatures and struck it three times. The wounded animal tof- toppled off a cliff. Uh, Beck reportedly claimed years later that another member of the party was actually the one that fired the shots. This kind of takes us back to people not wanting to be the one to pull the trigger on these creatures. Right. You know, like, they don't, they don't want that on their conscience.
1: Which is... I mean, that says something, the fact that these things look so much like us that they just can't do it. They can't justify pulling that trigger.
0: Which, unfortunately, in the time that we live in now, it's gonna take a body, I think, to absolutely prove that these things exist.
1: Well, that's if that's if you can obtain the body and somehow get it out to the public. You know, because there are a lot of ongoing theories that the government comes in and takes it. Yeah. You know, because here you are, little Joe Schmo. Uh, you know, you put down a Bigfoot, what's the first thing you're gonna do? You're gonna, have, probably in today's world, you're gonna take pictures of it, post it to social medias, then most likely the government's gonna swoop down, scrub all your stuff, take the body, and at the very least, probably find a way to start making you look crazy. Yeah. You know, because there's been stories of that where a guy was hunting, uh, the Bigfoot kept getting closer to him, dude put it down, so he contacted uh the game wardens and you know, the wildlife people, and then all of a sudden these guys in black SUVs pull up and just threaten him to all hell, and then they end up the body's gone. They went back looking for it, the body was gone so he didn't know if maybe the government got rid of it before he could get to it or if the other big feet you know took it took the body
0: swooped it up buried it or something yep i'm which... kind of on the fence as to whether or not they're actual physical creatures like part of me thinks that they're mes- metaphysical if they if they exist that they like can't be killed like maybe they're interdimensional i know we bounce on that a lot but they can travel in and out. That's why you don't find any bones. That's why you don't find a body.
1: There's a lot of people that think that, and then there's a handful of people that theorize that these that Bigfoot is um, Nephilim.
0: Yeah, I've heard that too.
1: You know, so there's that.
0: Back to the story, where uh, back changed his story that he didn't. He wasn't the one to fire the shots. I th- I feel like that was almost a bad deal because I, f- I feel like it messes with your credibility when you change your story. Yeah. You know what I mean? Regardless of who fired the shots, firing the shots was a mistake. That night, the men said they were awakened when huge stones began clomping against the outside of their cabin. Then they heard and felt giant bodies slamming against the walls and doors. These eight men were seeking revenge. The beast eventually tore a hole in the roof, allowing them to target Beck. Many of the rocks fell through the hole in the roof, and two of the rocks struck Beck, one of them rendering him unconscious for nearly two hours, as reported. Finally, the prospectors said the sun began to came up, which prompted the animals to break off their attack and slip away. The men poked their heads out of the door, and when they decided the coast was clear, they ran out of the woods. Tales of giant ape men weren't exactly new to the area. Hunters, lumberjacks, and prospectors had seen massive footprints now and again over the years. Native Americans in the area had spoken of mountain devils, but few people were seriously worried about the possibility of a huge unknown creature being out in the forest around ape canyon
1: well imagine how scary that would be to be in your cabin and just hear insanely loud thuds against the wall and the roof until finally the roof caves in yeah and then to be the poor guy that they single out and they're chucking rocks at
0: especially after you shot at them well i mean you killed one of them essentially because it fell off the cliff
1: yeah i mean i'm not gonna say you don't deserve it you know, they were probably just investigating at first.
0: Yeah, you killed then, their homie, and now they're fucking mad.
1: Exactly. Here, you take the first shot, literally. And they're like, okay, well, now it's our turn.
0: It Wouldn't be a good deal.
1: No. And like I said, you you brought that on upon yourself.
0: So after they came back to civilization in 1924 with their story, um, it was such a dramatic story, the battle between the human and the eight people, It made it hard for people just to ride off. Um, There were news reports that came out. Word of mouth kind of started snowballing into a local sensation. It got so big that the U.S. Forest Service decided to investigate. So, rangers J.H. Huffman and William Welch hiked into the forest with Beck, who took them to a cliff where he said the wounded ape man fell. A ranger scrambled down the supposedly inaccessible canyon and found nothing. Beck and the rangers continued to the prospector's cabin, and Beck pointed out the large stones that had been used in the attack. Huffman and Welch weren't impressed, concluding that the gold miners had probably placed the large stones there themselves. But Norwegian reporter asked the rangers when they returned to Kelso, Washington, what about the 14-inch footprints found near the cabin? Huffman created the imprint in the ground using his knuckles in the palm of his right hand, they said. They were made that way. Yeah. Uh, despite the... Okay.
1: No, I'm just saying, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he just Using his hands and his knuckles.
0: Despite the Rangers debunking the story, people still wanted to believe, and the tale continued. Friends and acquaintances of the five men who reported their experiences are the belief that they actually saw something which cannot be explained. Khaled's uh, tribe member, Frank Wannesey, told a reporter... About peculiar creatures that the tribe's elders had often spoke about. Mr. Wanese described them as being nine to ten feet tall, correspondingly large in stature, and their bodies covered with long hair. The report continued, they were never seen traveling only at night. So nocturnal animals, which makes sense. Absolutely. Um Wanase insisted that the animals were harmless. In the years that followed, the prospector's stories would repeat time and time again, inspiring various sightings and theories about the beasts. Since then, Argonian reporter Anita Nygaard wrote in 1974, Tracks have been sighted on the Lewis River, attested by rational and honest witnesses. Occasional campers and motorists have been startled by the glimpse of huge and mysterious hairy creatures walking like men and disappearing into the woods. So that is the Battle of Mount St. Helens in 1924.
1: So a couple things, you know, when it comes to the ranger going down the cliff and not finding a body, you hear this a lot in Bigfoot cases, you, you know, where there's no body that can be found. That kind of brings us back to the theory of what you, which you brought forth that they could be interdimensional or metaphysical or whatever and basically can't be killed or are they so much like us that they bury their dead?
0: Yeah, or at least hide them, drag them into a cave. Right. Or if it wasn't fatal, took them and nursed them back to health. Which is
1: know? also possible.
0: The area is so um, ingrained with Bigfoot lore. There are quite a few pictures of drawings of people seen. There's a... 1970s Bigfoot photos submitted to the Oregonian. We're going to share all this stuff on our social medias
1: for you guys to see. I really like the the newspaper clipping there.
0: Yeah, there's a newspaper article, from, I'm assuming from when the time it came out. I'll post a little snippet of that. It says it states fight with big apes reported by miners. Fabled beasts are said to have bombarded cabin. One of, one of animals said to appear like huge gorilla is killed by party. So, I mean, it was big enough to even make the paper, which that's rarely heard of nowadays. Yeah. And there's a couple pictures, too, I'll share.
1: Well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, it doesn't make the news, but we all know the news is...
0: It's going to be whatever people want it to be.
1: Yeah, the news is, is not anything relevant. But what I do find interesting in today's world is how wasn't just not too long ago there uh, he, there was a huge release on Bigfoot documents by the government that got declassified or whatever
0: yeah I think I did hear that
1: so you know here you have a government a social cu- uh, culture that says Bigfoot's not real Megalodon's not real giant squids aren't real They're, They they claim that all these things aren't real and yet Look at the giant squid. We just recently found that. And then you mean to tell me that despite everyone saying Bigfoot is not real, the government wastes time and resources searching for it? Yeah. If that's not a telltale sign that there was at least some shred of proof that at, at the very least, Bigfoot once existed,
0: the thing that what tells else me do you need? is that mountain gorillas were exactly this. Just a myth by local tribes that existed. A giant hairy man out in the forest up up until like 20 years ago. Until they they were discovered and proven to exist. Exactly. So, who's to say that a creature could be this elusive in the forests of the Northwest or in the forests of Alaska or in the forests of Granite City, you know? Yeah,
1: I mean... That's the thing about cryptids, especially this one in particular. I mean, to say that it, this is impossible to me is...
0: It's ludicrous. Yeah, I mean... We don't know enough. We n- haven't explored enough to prove it not being real.
1: That's what I'm saying, the, the exploration part. There, the, you know there's parts of our country, let alone the world, where we have not stepped foot.
0: Yeah, and it's just, I mean, I feel like there's more of a chance of it existing than there is of it not existing with all these creatures. Absolutely. Because, all right, let's say, this is, this is what I always come back to. Let's say there's 100,000 Bigfoot sightings on record. You only need one percent of those sightings to be an actual Bigfoot for Bigfoot to exist.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like are the
0: are are all these people confusing something natural for something that's supernatural? Is has every single person that's encountered this been wrong?
1: Yeah, I mean
0: the odds the odds are almost too too overwhelming to say that every single one of these people that have seen a Bigfoot, that have seen a Sasquatch, that have seen uh, the Abominable Snowman, that have seen a Yowie, that, they're, that they don't exist. It's, which, it's in every culture around the globe.
1: Exactly, which brings me back to the government looking into it. I don't feel like they would look into it for no reason.
0: It's just... I don't know. I get on a tangent when people say that something couldn't happen.
1: Yeah, it's just dumb.
0: But, I digress. For our last story, our last Bigfoot story, we are staying on Mount St. Helens to the explosion, the volcanic eruption that happened In the early 80s, I believe. 1980, maybe.
1: Yeah, that's what it says. 1980.
0: Yeah, so. We are going to travel down this hole. That when Mount St. Helens exploded, a population of Sasquatches were killed along with the people and other animals during that explosion. So, on May 18th, 1980, a devastating natural disaster created an entirely new landscape across a specific portion of Washington state. We're talking, obviously, about the eruption of Mount St. Helens, which killed more than four dozen people, as well as thousands of wild animals. Within the domain of cryptid ape investigations, there are long-standing rumors and whispers that the event also took the lives of more than just a few Sasquatch something which allegedly elements of the U.S. government and military sought to keep under wraps. Kyle, would our military and government do that?
1: No. Okay.
0: Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the actual disaster itself. This is from the U.S. Geological Survey. With no immediate precursors, a magnitude 5.1 earthquake occurred at 8.32 p.m. on May 18, 1980 was accompanied by a rapid series of events. At the same time as the earthquake, the volcano's northern bulge and summit slid away as a huge landslide, the largest debris avalanche on Earth in recorded history. That's pretty massive. Yeah, for sure. A small dark ash-rich eruption plume rose directly from the base of the debris uh, another from the summit of the crater it rose about 650 feet in the air. The debris avalanche swept around and up the ridges of the north, but most turned westward as far as 14 miles down the valley of the North, For- north Fork to- or Tootle River and. F- formed uh, hummocky deposit. Uh, total avalanche volume was three point three billion cubic yards, equivalent to one million Olympic swimming pools. That is a lot of stuff.
1: That's a lot.
0: Uh, the cryptodome was very hot and highly pressurized body of magma. Its removal resulted in an immediate depressurization of the volcano's magmatic system and triggered triggered powerful eruptions that blasted literally through the siding the sliding debris and removed the upper 1,000 foot cone of the mountain as this lateral blast of hot material took over the debris avalanche accelerated at over 300 miles per hour within a few minutes after the onset an eruption cloud of blast began to rise from the summit within 15 minutes it had reached a high of more than 80,000 feet in the air the blast devastated an area of 19 miles from west to east and more than 12 and a half miles northward from the summit the inner zone extended 6 miles from the summit virtually no trees remained of what was a dense forest it literally flattened everything just wiped it
1: off that's crazy i could uh, imagine seeing that
0: it would it would have been nuts like i didn't realize it was the largest earth landslide in recorded history like that that is Monstrous, yeah,
1: that's saying something
0: demonstrating the incredible and deadly power unleashed that day. The U.S. Geological Survey says over the course of the day, prevailing winds blew 520 million tons of ash eastward, eastward across the United States, and caused complete darkness in Spokane, Washington, 250 miles from the volcano. Major ash falls occurred as far away as as Montana and ash visibly fell as far eastward as the Great Plains of the central United States, more than 930 miles away. The ash cloud spread across the U.S. in three days and encircled the earth in 15 days. So that's your official story. Now we're going to kind of poke into the unofficial one, the whispers.
1: Go off the books a little bit.
0: Yeah. So it kind of... Kind of goes hand-in-hand with the claims of there being alien bodies in Area 51. Now they're saying there's stories to cover up Bigfoot bodies here at Mount St. Helens. There's stories that an operation to recover recover possibly five or six Bigfoot bodies from the pulverized remains of Mount St. Helens was coordinated by the United States Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, the Corps of Engineer notes that its role is to deliver vital public and military engineering service, partner, partnering in peace and war to strengthen our nation nation's security, uh, yada yada yada. Several of the bodies, Bigfoot researchers have been told, were reportedly found on the 105-mile-long Cowlitz River in the Cascade Mountains. Military Chinook helicopters were said to have been flown into the area and later exited with the corpse of several large, hairy, ape-like animals hanging from the powerful nets strung beneath the helicopters. Their destination remains unknown. In 2012, a story surfaced from a former National Guardsman who maintained that he was actually on site when at least some of the Bigfoot recoveries occurred. Under cover of extensive secrecy, Incredibly, he claimed that not all of the retrieved Bigfoots were dead. Some were burned and injured, and few critically so. Particularly outrageous is the claim that the military had assistance from one or two unharmed Bigfoot that helped guide military personnel to the site where the injured giants lay. There's absolutely no doubt that the stories of the dead and injured Bigfoot of Mount St. Helens' disaster are fascinating Admittedly very problematic, however, is the glaring fact that none of the alleged retired former military personnel that divulge such fantastic stories have been willing to reveal their names and or proof of their employment at a military or government level. So, kind of all hearsay Yeah. on this
1: one. But it would, to play devil's advocate, it would make more sense to rid all... Documents, if you will, of people involved. Yeah, you know, and just I hear wipe it clean.
0: The more I look into this one, there's there's multiple articles I've looked at. The story kind of changes, kind of bounces back and forth. And one thing I see is from an account called "Who's Watching T- You?" The exploration of Bigfoot phenomenon in the Pacific Northwest. It said, uh corps of engineer was placed in charge of one pile of dead animals in particular the pile was covered and no one was allowed to come near it the u.s army national guard personnel were guarding the pile on the day that they were going to move this group of bodies bradshaw i'm assuming who this person is that told the story was standing very close to the pile and was told to keep his mouth closed about what he was to witness when the tarps were removed he was amazed to see that the bodies were those of sasquatch some badly burned some not They were placed in large nets and lifted into the back of a truck, which was tarped over and shipped out. Freedom of Information Acts were filed to see if there was an official report to the response. And as predicted, there were no such documented reports of Bigfoot or Sasquatch carcasses. And there were no projects to attempt to locate or recover any Sasquatch bodies.
1: So just a, a fun thought that I just had maybe there are no names of these military guys or documents because the people that were involved in this didn't exist, i.e. they work for a section of the government that nobody knows about. You know, and they're just kind of posing as the Army Corps of Engineers or the military. Yeah, I can see that. You know. It's I found kind of a, a crazy thought.
0: I found another little expert excerpt of that other excerpt I read earlier um, where they loaded it in the back of the truck and was tarped over. Bradshaw asked a guardsman what would happen to the bodies and the guardsman replied, they'll study them or whatever. I don't want to know. It's like other stuff you just don't ask. Later that day his father and the rest of the the rest of them were debriefed and told not to talk about what they had witnessed there that day and they were sent home. Of course, the Freedom of Information Act showed nothing. Um, there are reports that 57 bipedal beasts of human variety were killed in the volcanic eruption. So I guess that's the amount of people that were actually killed. Obviously, the blast would have caused massive damage to the Bigfoot. It's logical to think that if there are Bigfoots on the mountain, some of them would have been killed in the eruption. And logically, thinking that if the Bigfoots were killed... They would have been found because oh, some yeah. of the people were found. So if there was a Bigfoot population up there, the eruption would have devastated them.
1: For sure. Now what catches me with this whole uh, story, you know, I, there's one one kind of hiccup that I'll, I'll admit on, and it's when they say the Bigfoot led the military to other bodies. Not something you hear very often, but not out of the realm of possibility.
0: It almost seems to get exacerbated the more that you look into it, like the more it's told. But,
1: you know, another fun thought. I've always wondered if there is more of a off-the-books organization that does take these things serious and looks into them a lot more than what is let on kind of like its own special little group. And then the other oddity would be that, why would you keep Bigfoot under wraps? What's the point? You know what I mean? Because we know about gorillas and we know about chimpanzees and that, that whole family, what makes Bigfoot so much different?
0: I, part of me almost feels like they're doing it to protect them.
1: Which is completely understandable.
0: Humans are pretty much garbage.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, think about it. If it came out that Bigfoot was real, do you know how many trophy hunters are going to be out in the oh, woods that's the looking? the first
0: thing I was going to say. For sure. That would be the ultimate trophy.
1: Absolutely. Because it it is literally, I mean, I know it's a, a funny little meme, but it is literally one of the hide-and-seek champions oh, yeah. of the planet so far.
0: Yeah, and you know, you know some some dude somewhere want one hanging up on his wall
1: just to prove oh, that he was yeah. the one to get it first. And he would pay ungodly amounts of money for that trophy.
0: Especially if the government did do research, did find that there's a population and found that that population is not very big, especially yeah. like in the the US Northwest. They're going to do everything, like their best move is to just lie. Just deny it. Just yeah. deny it, deny it, deny it, deny it. Instead of coming out and being like, well, yeah, there are, but leave them alone. Well, people aren't going to leave them alone.
1: No, and I mean...
0: So maybe the government is the good guy in this situation. It's
1: possible, which would be awesome to hear. You know, because that the story that I brought up just a little bit ago about the, the guy who shot the Bigfoot because it kept getting closer and closer to him and he didn't want to take his chances with it because he was out turkey hunting. Um... That's what these people in the black SUVs told him. They said that Bigfoot is on is an endangered species and is protected. That was one of the excuses they gave him. Whether there's validity to, to that or not, I don't know. But that is what he was told at that time. I mean, I But it would be a very off the you know, off the books type of endangered list.
0: Yeah, I I mean and you if there is a population of these creatures, they would obviously be endangered.
1: Yeah, because there I mean, aren't
0: very many of them. You wouldn't think.
1: No, and and then you would all, you'd have to pretty much assume that this race of creatures is relatively intelligent, you know? Because they have I mean, I guess everybody every animal has their own form of communication, but It seems like these guys would be a little more advanced because if we have seen them, like everybody says, these guys disappear. I mean, they just poof. There's reports where people, it's almost like literally Bigfoot comes out of thin air in the woods because I guess because it can camouflage so well that it just seems like it appears and disappears and people can't even really explain how it's gone.
0: Yeah, that's, I'm, that's what leads me to wonder if it's actually an actual physical being.
1: I mean, there are people who claim that it has uh, paranormal abilities about it. And then there's also people that seem to link it to UFOs and stuff.
0: Yeah, I've read, I read a lot of that, too.
1: You know, whenever they see a Bigfoot, they also see a UFO, which is interesting to say the least.
0: So the the other thing is that they requested a Freedom of Information Act, which is a big deal here lately now that you can you can actually go after the government to release their information. Found an article on here f- written by the guy who requested the Freedom of Information Act. And I quote, my Freedom of Information Act request specifically requested information that Bigfoot or Sasquatch bodies were discovered and or recovered just after the eruption of Mount St. Helens on 5-18-1980. Forest Service was fairly prompt in replying to my request. The response was quite clear that, and I quote from the Freedom of Information Act, there were no documented reports of Bigfoot or Sasquatch carcasses, and there were no projects to attempt to locate and or recover any bodies. My second question dealt with the recovery of other beasts killed in the eruption of the four-legged variety. In the awesome story above, it would appear that the dead Bigfoots were kept in some sort of makeshift morgue that was created to dispose of the rotting animals killed by the blast. The Freedom of Information Act response indicates that there was no known infrastructure to deal with four-legged corpses. It says, Two documents were located that are partially responsive to item two of your request. Those documents were created by researchers outside of the Forest Service and are related to work done to locate carcasses of elk and deer for study they were conducting. So while the Freedom of Information Act response is not clearly and conclusively say there were no collection areas for the disposal for legged animals after the eruption, one must infer that this was the intent of providing 50 pages of documents by the non-USFS researchers on the study of dead animals in the blast zone. So outside of the government, there were people doing research on the animals that were killed. But apparently, none of those had anything to do with Bigfoot either. So that's so, the. Uh,
1: if it did happen, it's completely off the off the record.
0: Yeah. Or if it's on the record, it's not getting out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would assume that would be the case with most Freedom of, of Information Act stuff. That a lot of that stuff is redacted. Yeah. You know, or just just plane left out well i'll just leave this page out and this paragraph out like it never existed
0: i mean it's crazy though that there's 50 pages of documents about dead animals like it states 80 elk and nine deer individuals were located from the blast so that's that's pretty specific right and the fact that you're finding whole bodies or partial bodies enough to recognize them that there are deer and elk if there were bigfoots up there 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 would be pieces left, you know, Correct. if not whole
1: bodies. Yeah, you should be able to to at least come to the conclusion that this is not normal. You know, this body part is not something we've seen.
0: Yeah, it's... It's, I mean, it's...
1: I, don't know. I mean, I would say it's possible that the situation happened.
0: Yeah, and, and like I said before, like it's pretty good yarn to spin from such a tragic from such a tragedy you know right so i don't know did bigfoot die on Mount St. helen i mean could be for sure There, it's, it's right in their neck of the woods so to speak you can't get much more squatchy than a giant mountain out in the middle of the northwest
1: yeah which is not easily you know scaled by human
0: yeah, so that's our that's our trio of Bigfoot stories we thought we'd share with you. Just some just some interesting off the wall ones we stumbled across. So, we thought we'd share and see what you guys thought. Thanks for hanging out with us and listening. If anybody lives out on the northwest, around Mount St. Helens, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, if you have any Bigfoot stories you'd like to share with us, please get at us. We'd like to hear it. If you have a Mount St. Helens story, we'd like to hear that too. I mean, that's a pretty big chunk of history right there. Absolutely. So, again, thanks for hanging out and catch us on all our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and whatnot. And if you have a paranormal story you'd like to share, just get at us. Yep,
1: Give us a call and leave us a message.
0: Other than that, stay safe and
1: stay weird.